Good morning. I hope you are enjoying coffee, or at least making your coffee. I am so thankful for a good night's sleep. Sleep is so important. Uh, we tend to do so much work during the day to keep our bodies healthy and strong. We go to gyms, we run, and then we act like we can't do anything about sleep. And sleep is so important. Maybe I should do a podcast about sleep one day. <laughs> Just make sure you're pursuing a good night's sleep. It's so important. It's important for your family. It's important for your health. It's important for your ability to pursue purpose. Thank you for joining me today for the sacred ritual of waking up purposeful. Purposeful in our connection with God. I am brought to you every day by the promise of God in Ezekiel chapter 17. We're going to continue in our Christmas devotional by looking at the wise men. They're sometimes called magi, and we'll look at why they're called that as we go. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. So I want to point out that it doesn't say a number. When we see the wise men, we've got this usually at Christmas time, we've got this nice, concise scene where we've got a, usually it's a wooden barn. Uh, which, again, would, would not have been the practice of ancient days. That w would have likely been more of a, a rock or a stone, either structure or cave. But we have, uh, in our modern scenes, we usually have a wooden-looking barn. We have another thing that cracks me up about all references to our... Uh, renderings of biblical people, and that is they're usually Caucasian, which is ridiculous. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, anyway, and you've got shepherds. Usually you got a nativity set will give you Mary and Joseph, Jesus, and then it'll give you a couple shepherds and it'll give you three wise men. But the Bible does not say that there were three. It just says exactly what I read, wise men. And by the way, that's two different words in the King James Version. There came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. By the way, I will I will say the reason they typically go with three wise men is because there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh. And so they the artists 
rendering, it was easiest for them to depict that as three men, each having one gift that they brought. But it was common for traveling in those days to be done in large uh, companies, large groups of people. And so there may have been only three, but there could have been 12. There could have been 20. There could have been a, a lot. There could have been five. We just don't know. And I I like that we don't know. I like that our imaginations can can be broadened. So the reason they call them magi is because, of course, our English uh, is written, the New Testament is written from Greek. And the Greek word was, um, I don't know if I'm going to say this right, but um, magos or mogos. And it's a Greek word and it means teachers, priests, physicians, astrologers, seers, interpreters of dreams, soothsayers, etc. And it does include the word magician. And I want to tell you why they were thought to be magical and even sorcerers. Why they were thought to be. It's because they studied the sky and then they would predict um, of course, we have astrologers. Astrology is different from astronomy, but they would uh, have those who would try to predict all kinds of things on the earth from from uh, what kind of child a, a, a person would be based on where the stars were aligned. And of course, they did call them stars. Uh, when the child was born, so many things they tried to do. But mainly this was um, done for the purpose of studying weather. Because when you study weather, you can predict um, good times to plant and good times to harvest and what to expect when it comes to protecting a civilization with the production of food. And so much like uh, our farmer's almanac today, you can go to, you know, Walmart or, or hardware store or a farmer's store and you will find a, a paper-bound book called a farmer's almanac. Um, I am very infatuated with these things and I've actually not owned one I've not picked up one in, in many years, probably more than a decade since I've purchased a farmer's almanac. And I recently remembered them because my uh, nephew, I believe Josh is nine. He might have just turned 10, but uh, he was talking with me the other day and he was saying how he loves weather. He loves to look at weather. And I didn't know this about him. And I found it very fascinating. And he was saying how he predicted the other day it was going to rain because um, he saw gray clouds that nobody else saw. <laughs> and he knew it was going to be raining that day. 
And I loved that conversation with him. And so I made a middle, mental note to go and buy him a farmer's almanac. I'm going to blow that little boy's mind. <laughs> he's, he's probably going to start driving his parents crazy with the farmer's almanac. But the farmer's almanac, it's amazing how reliable that is. And, and they are able to predict weather by comparing solar patterns and historical weather conditions with current solar activity. This is all stuff from the sky. These these nerds with their telescopes looking at stars and planets and studying the moon and and the way the earth is is in movement and the planets and such a cool thing. And these studiers of the sky are ancient, ancient. Um, we, we read about them in scripture uh, in Egypt. They're, they're discussed in Egypt um, when Moses was involved there. They were definitely leaning more on their um, magic side in that, but they were also mentioned in Daniel's time. And so these wise men, their uh, careers, their functioning is ancient. And, and it's quite fascinating. And it's unfortunate that they have, uh, they have begun to worship the stars, the creation more than the creator. Um, that's for another podcast. But as we move on and looking at the wise men, um, we know that these were wise men from the East. The scripture lets us know in, in Matthew 2, 1, there came wise men from the East to Jerusalem. And so it doesn't say exactly where they came from. But if you look east of Israel, where Jesus was born. If you look east of Israel, you're going to have a straight line of uh, modern nations that are Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, China, Korea, Japan. That is a straight line east. And so these um, wise men, we don't know how far they came. We just know they came from afar. And then if you look at the east, we could have them as far away as from Japan or as near as Iraq. And all of these civilizations have a strong presence throughout their history of both astronomy and astrology and just a quick definition that I copied and pasted was astronomy is the study of the universe and its contents outside of Earth's atmosphere. Astronomers examine the positions, motions, and properties of celestial objects. Astrology attempts to study how those positions, motions, and properties affect people and events on earth. Astrology 
goes into the realm of believing that those positionings are spiritual positionings rather than natural movements. And I believe that the Lord uses his own creation to help us. And this is one instance where he did when Jesus was born. But I don't believe it is safe nor appropriate to be using that as our uh, daily life choices. Because then we're not walking by faith. We're walking by sight. And we are instructed to walk by faith and not by sight. We're going to let the Lord lead us. Abraham took steps not knowing where he went. And so I believe when we look in scripture, we find men and women who had relationships with God. They did not also have relationships with their faith being in astrology. And so we're going to put aside astrology. (laughs) But these wise men were studying the positioning of the stars and planets. They called them all stars. Uh, You know, the constants in the sky. We know that hikers, if if they get lost, they know to use the North Star. I am not one of these. I'm not positive if I could find the North Star. (laughs) I think so. I think I've seen it. But when I've pointed at and said, is that it? Because I'm completely ignorant of these things. People have told me, no, that's that's a satellite. (laughs) So you don't want to be with me when it comes to direction of any kind out on the road. I, I live in the same town I was born in. My mother birthed me at home. I live in the same town that I was born in. And I have to use a GPS to get around. You do not want to <laughs> depend on my guidance. <laughs> but there are constants in the sky. The Big Dipper has always been there. People have been describing it in ancient texts for as long as far back as we have writings of people who wrote down their studies of the sky. So let's move on. Matthew 2, 2. So the wise men, they came to Jerusalem saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. So here's a question. If, if our renditions and our uh, basic imagination of what this star of Bethlehem looked like, which is the shape of, of a traditional star, you know, we've got all the points happening on it, and we've got it just standing still, shining a constant light above uh, a wooden barn. That's our Caucasian rendition of this star of Bethlehem. If it's just shining there... Why did they have to ask, where is he born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. So let's, let's nerd out a little bit. And and, uh, uh, I, I have to read 
to you an article because this is far beyond my scope of understanding. But uh, David Weintraub, W-E-I-N-T-R-A-U-B, writes in the U.S. News and World Report on December 21st, 2016, no star can do these things. No star is going to move and then stay in one place. Nor can a comet or Jupiter or a supernova or a conjunction of planets or any other actual bright object in the nighttime sky. One can claim Matthew's words describe a miracle, something beyond the laws of physics. And I'll pause um, David for one second and say, Denny Richardson absolutely does believe in miracles. And if he is inaccurate and it was a God-created star, that's 100% what I am I can very easily believe in. I believe God created a fish to hold Jonah. The Bible doesn't say that was a whale. God created a fish. He made a fish to hold Jonah. And so if I'm going to believe that, I can absolutely believe that he created a star. But let's move on and and see what um, these astronomers have to say. In a human lifetime, virtually all the stars remain fixed in their places. The stars rise and set every night, but they do not move relative to each other. The stars in the Big Dipper appear year after year, always in the same place. But the planets, the sun, and the moon wander through the fixed stars. In fact, the word planet comes from the Greek word for wandering star. Though the planets, sun, and moon move along approximately the same path through the background stars, they travel at different speeds, so they often lap each other. When the sun catches up with a planet, we can't see the planet, but when the sun passes far enough beyond it, the planet reappears. So this is what I believe was likely happening. And this is why I believe the wise men needed to ask where it was. David goes on to write, Can we find any other explanation consistent with Matthew's words that doesn't require the laws of physics be violated and that has something to do with astronomy? The answer, amazingly, is yes. Astronomer Michael Mulner points out that in the East, the phrase in the East is a literal translation of the Greek phrase ente anatole, which was a technical term used in Greek mathematical astrology 2,000 years ago. It described very specifically a planet that would rise above the eastern horizon just before the sun would appear. Then, just moments after the planet rises, it disappears in the bright glare of the sun in the morning sky. Except for a brief moment, no one can see the star in the east. So I believe they were asking for directions because this is what was going on. And because they stopped in Jerusalem to ask for directions, we get Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, when Herod the king heard these things, heard that the wise men were asking about the star, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And I'm going to talk about Herod 
tomorrow. There's some very interesting things about Herod that a lot of people do not know. Let's continue on in Matthew 2, verse 4. When he, Herod, had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And by the way, when he, they say by the prophet, they're referring to Micah, the prophet Micah. And um, it is specifically in chapter 5, verse 2. Uh, and thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee, talking about Bethlehem, shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. And so because of this prophecy, let's move to verse 9. Um, in, in the verses between um, verses 6 and 9, King Herod tells them this information about the prophet Micah. And so in verse 9, when they, the wise men, heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the one young child was. When they saw the star, now remember, if this is this type of planet that uh, David wrote about, when they saw the star, so it might have been a little bit since they'd gotten the opportunity to glimpse it. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding joy. And so that prophecy is how they knew to go to Bethlehem. And I'm going to pause and let you know that the word of God that has been preserved is still how you know where to find Jesus. It is still those ancient words preserved upon pain of death are still how we know to find Christ the Messiah. Verse 11, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasure, the treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So I'm going to use this verse and point out some things that are not pictured in our traditional view of the nativity scene that we usually see and we unbox and put out at Christmas time. By the way, I also put out a nativity. I think it's sweet. Um, I love the tradition. When my children were small, I had a, um, I think it's the brand was Little Tykes. Uh, anyway, I had a little plastic set. I had a glass set that the children were not allowed to touch because it was glass. And if it broke, I didn't want them to hurt themselves. Uh, and then I had this plastic one and we played with it. I loved pretending to be Mary and, or the, me and the kids would switch up. We would, you know, be the characters and, and just play pretend just like we, we would pretend with, uh, all their other little dolls. We would play pretend and, um, Sometimes Mary, my daughter Morgan would, would be the character of Mary and my son would be Joseph and I would be the sheep and the cow and we would have fun playing all the parts and we would just make up our own words and say whatever we wanted. <laughs> my daughter used to get so mad at me when I would pretend to be Mary because I I would always 
act like she was a a classic just had a baby hormonal Mary. I've actually written a few different Christmas productions <laughs> where I have cast Mary as being in a hormonal postpartum state. <laughs> My daughter would get so mad because I would have Mary telling the shepherds to go wash their hands. They were too dirty to touch the baby. And when the when the wise men would come in to bow, I would I would take my baby away and have you used antibacterial gel? And I would suddenly be crying or I'd be angry at Joseph and she did not like that. (laughs) Uh, She wanted just the classic pious Mary who said nothing and just let all these people come right into her space like she didn't mind at all. Anyway, (laughs) oh my goodness, I had so much fun. So I have a nativity they're all the little Caucasian people that I just find ridiculous. But, you know, I, I use it to teach my children about Jesus and the story and so forth. But this scripture particularly says, when the wise men were come into the house. So at this point, they were not in the stable. They were in a house. And it doesn't call him a baby It calls him a young child in verse 11. And we know, we're going to study Herod tomorrow, but Herod killed the boys ages two years and younger. And that's because he asked the wise men privately when they first saw this star. And we can assume because Herod killed all the boy children ages two and younger, that they must have pre- they must have said it was about two years ago that they first saw the star. And so this scene is not necessarily what has been uh, painted and rendered by artists through the centuries either. So when they were come to the house, They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And they presented to him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I want to talk about these. So gold, if somebody gave you gold, obviously that would be a financial blessing. And I do believe that it was the Lord's provision for this family because they were, we'll study a little bit later, they were going to have to travel to Egypt to preserve and protect Jesus. And so they came prepared. The Lord knew ahead of time what this family was going to need. They brought gold, which of course helps in their finances. They brought frankincense and myrrh and both of these were used as cures for a variety of ailments from digestive trouble to pain relief Uh, they were also myrrh especially was a a symbol of what was to come because myrrh was commonly used in the burial rituals of the time 
but also frankincense and myrrh were both a part of worship. And we find them mentioned in Exodus when it comes to uh, coming to God in the uh, in worship in the tabernacle. And at the time of Jesus, both frankincense and myrrh were as valuable, if not more valuable, than gold. So all three of these things, not only were they very symbolic of Jesus being a king and therefore worthy of gold, and the frankincense and myrrh worthy of, presented to the right source as what was used as incense and worship. Not only was it those things, but it was also prophecy of the death that was to come. But they were also just very practical things that would help this family that was, they were about to be, this family was about to be uh, immigrants in another country. And verse 12 wraps up all we know about the wise men being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod because that was their original plan was to go back to Herod and tell him what they had discovered. But God warned them in a dream not to do that. And so they departed into their own country another way. And I want to wrap up today's understanding and insight of the wise men with this, that God draws all demographics to himself. God is not willing that any should perish. And this drawing that God was doing of the nations started with the birth of Jesus. The last Christmas uh, podcast was about the shepherds and you'll have to go hear that to see how that was the complete, they were the complete opposite end of the spectrum from the wise men. And at the birth of Jesus, God was already demonstrating that, that regardless of people's backgrounds, He wanted them in his presence. It doesn't matter what your background is, how noble it is, how educated it is, like the wise men, or if it's rough and tumble and without education like the shepherds, it doesn't matter what your background is. Jesus wants you. He wants you near him. He wants, he has a place for you. He wants you. He came for you. And then let's look at the inconvenience of these wise men. First of all, in that day, travel itself was dangerous and uncomfortable. And they were ready and willing to travel in a very dangerous situation. That's why they traveled in a group because there's strength in numbers. So travel was dangerous and it was uncomfortable. 
they came from a far country. We don't know how far, but we know because they came from another country that they had national borders to cross. We know they had language barriers that they had to cross. Just that in itself, if you've ever done international travel, the language barriers, the national borders, this, these were huge inconveniences that these men went through. And then, of course, they had the deception of, of King Herod that they had to endure. And then the inconvenience of going back home another route. At least if they could have gone home the same route that they had traveled, they would, they, they, they could have perhaps stopped at the same places. They could have re-experienced some things that, that they already experienced on the way coming. But they had to go home a different way. And may we follow the pattern and the example of these wise men. Let's be spiritual. These, these men started by recognizing that there was something spiritual going on. And, and we know where our faith lies. And I've already discussed that our faith needs to be in God and not in the astrology of this world. But recognizing that we need to be spiritual is an important step. Without faith, faith is spiritual. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So that's the first step is is being spiritual and then following in the example of the wise men we need to do the inconvenient and uncomfortable stuff to get to Jesus getting to Jesus is not always comfortable and easy it's normally unfortunately it is normal for it to be inconvenient and uncomfortable. And it is normal to have to leave all we've known. These men left their home. They left their comfort zones. That's normal when you are trying to get to Jesus. And then these wise men had to protect Christ. They found him. Then they had to go to great lengths to protect him. And we're going to talk about the enemies tomorrow. But today I'm giving you a heads up. You're going to have to protect Christ in your life. You're going to have to set some boundaries that say, these are the lifestyle decisions I'm going to make. Because I have found that when I go back to my old lifestyle, my old comfort zones, Christ is diminished. And if not downright, obviously Christ cannot be killed. But I mean in the sense of in our hearts being alive and active, absolutely smothered. If we do not protect Christ, the the lifestyle choices that we make and the things that we read in the New Testament. I'm not 
I'm not even talking about the Old Testament law. I'm talking about the scriptures in the New Testament where the apostles warned us about some relationships that were not good for us, some some uh, ways of dressing, some attitudes, some these things are to protect Christ. We set up these habits and these disciplines that are inconvenient and uncomfortable to protect Christ in our lives. So let's be wise. Let's look for Christ. Let's find him. And when we find him, let's protect his living in our lives. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you have a good day. Please share this podcast. And please download my app for your device, Android or iPhone. You can find the right direction for that at wordsongapp.com. God bless.